Hello and welcome to the latest Sounds of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Crystal Guevara. So Crystal is a sport medicine physician. She works with US figure skating team. Next to that, she also works in private practice and with Renaissance Periodization, which makes her the perfect person today to discuss how you can modify training to improve your sport performance. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Crystal onto the show. So Crystal, welcome to the Sciences Foot Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Right. Uh, so I am a board certified primary care sports medicine physician. So my training comes from family medicine or uh, general practice, I guess, uh, as they call it in Europe. And then I did a one year sports medicine fellowship. And now I am currently in private practice. I have my own practice that's mostly telemedicine. Um, and in addition to that, I also am one of the traveling physicians for U.S. figure skating. So I get to do that a couple times a year where I get to spend a week, uh, go travel to different places and do event coverage. And then majority of my work is actually with Renaissance periodization. So I do a lot of mostly project management. I do mostly project <laughs> management. Sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> and so I've worked in various different departments uh, within the company, but it's all non-clinical work. But it's all still relevant because I'm in the fitness industry, and I think there's a huge overlap between sports medicine and the fitness community. So. I'd, I'd be inclined to agree, but I think that's an entirely different podcast. Yeah. So um, we're, we're going to fo focus on the things that we're going to talk about today. Otherwise, it's, yes. uh, it's another 40 minutes and we're going to oh get, get a little bit lost. Um, right. So in terms of injury and pain, right? So that, that's what we're here to discuss. Um, yeah. Those two things are distinct from each other. Can you give us a quick yes. whiz through what those things are and yeah, how they are then different? Right. So uh, pain and injury are different. So pain is just really an a very unpleasant sensory and emotional experience and often it becomes um, and it really motivates us to do something to alleviate it because as humans uh, you feel pain so we want to do things to try and avoid it um, it's always patient reported and sometimes it can happen in the absence of any injury so I think those two things are really important to note that people's emotional and psychological experiences can be huge contributors to pain and also it's what the patient experiences so with injury it's very much a clinical suspicion of damage to the body and the body's tissues so unless you are you know Kevin Ware and you have a pretty nasty open a fracture in the middle of a basketball court, uh, you know, in, in the middle of a big game. Um, it's really up to the clinician to rely on the patient's story for a plausible and relevant mechanism, and then looking out for signs of inflammation, whether it's pain, which we just talked about, but also heat, uh, redness, swelling, and then evaluating that loss of function if it's present. So obviously the they are linked, right? So if you're injured, you might well have pain. Um, mm -hmm. how, how is then, how is pain then created if that's like a, uh, not from injury necessarily? How, how does that then, yeah, physiologically differ? Right. So um, we have a whole bunch of receptors within and um, 
within our body um, that are sending off those signals. And, you know, it's and a whole bunch of signaling cascades that tell us or at least tell the brain that, hey, something is going on. Your body needs to protect protect your you know tissues from, you know, moving in a certain direction or doing something that is going to, um, you know, continue to uh, provide that pain. However, there are times where and this isn't entirely clear. Sometimes that signaling cascade can get messed up. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't really want to say messed up, but also just sending some sort of abnormal signaling pathways where it's like, hey, there is no injury, but yet we're still sending off firing signals to our brain telling us, hey, something's going on. So like, for example, um, you know, for somebody who has had an amputation, uh, they can still experience leg pain on the side in which that leg has been removed. It's like, Clearly, there's no more leg here, but there's still, and the nerves all have been cut, but there's still that awkward or that abnormal signaling pattern that's telling your brain, hey, something, you know, your leg here is, that doesn't exist, is now, uh, it's still in pain. So yeah. I hope that makes sense. Or yeah, a little absolutely. bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's important to, to distinguish those things, right? So when, when mm -hmm. we talk about training through injury and pain, they can be two very <sighs> different, distinct entities, right? So, yes. Um, Firstly, can we train through pain and injury? Is is that a good thing to do? So when I think of so I when I think of training through pain, I think of a lot of different scenarios. Unfortunately, so when I think of people who train through pain, I think of a lot of people who end up walking into clinic, um, telling me that they've had this pain for a very long time and they've really done no modifications whatsoever for it, and they've just sort of grinding day in and day out pretending like it doesn't exist so that uh, i don't recommend uh, i don't yeah. recommend <laughs> so through pain i think is just a little bit of a you know i never try to get super nitpicky about wordage but this time around because i've seen so many patients just coming in years later like uh yeah it's finally time to do something the i think the more uh reasonable term is, you know, can I work around this? Can I still get the things that I want to get done out of training without, you know, uh, you know, at best really making this nagging issue go away and at worst, at least keeping it at bay so I can get the things that I enjoy done. That's a, a nice way of looking at it. And when, <laughs> when you then take injury, for an example, mm -hmm. can we train through injury? Because obviously a, a broken leg, probably can't do a lot with that that's clear but there are loads of different injuries and yeah sometimes you could kind of get with get away with it and maybe not so how, how does that work with injury i mean for, even for things that are broken uh, i would still say you can still do stuff that uh, for somebody who and i've seen this a lot where it's um a huge thing with athletes is uh, you know, they get, they have a broken leg or, or whatever, and everything sort of shuts down. It's like my whole purpose as an athlete is now, has now been shattered because they've been on this one track. Like I've got to do all the things, you know, I've got to be able to run. I've got to be able to use my leg and trying to switch that framework to be like, Hey, yes, this happened to you, but we can still get some stuff done. You have an other leg that's not casted. You have your whole upper torso, your upper body that still needs to uh, be worked on, still needs to train because you don't want to get too deconditioned. So, um, even in that, I would say we can still work around things. I can't tell you how many times I've had to, uh, as a physician, 
tell the athlete and also the staff like, hey, this person has a broken ankle or a broken leg, but we can still do other things as well. Just don't move that leg. Like you can, you know, sit on a bench, you can sit on a, a seated pad and do some lat pull downs for, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's super important to, to realize as well for some people, right? So especially for athletes who maybe don't have that stuff around them. It could be the case that you're like, oh, you know what? I've broken my leg, ACL, whatever it might be. Yeah. And then it's just, well, I can't do anything. Um, yeah. Where you could potentially do loads of stuff, um, get yourself into great shape, but maybe just not running because you're not allowed right. to do that. Yeah. So, and it's and, really, a lot of times it's really just reframing, uh, helping them reframe the injury. And I think that also provides them a very positive outlook, which then also just makes the recovery process so much more smoothly compared to, you know, I feel like crap, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to blah, 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 you know, yeah. downward spiral. So yeah, the emotional side of it is also something that can be, can be taken with it. And in terms of those modifications then, can you walk us through how training could be modified? Because you mentioned, for example, upper body when your lower body's injured. I think mm -hmm. most people can, can kind of uh, get that one, but are there any other modifications that you think, are oh, these are things that could, could really help athletes? You know, I think the biggest thing with, especially with the TikTok generation and social media just being <clears throat> kind of at the forefront is putting the ego aside and waiting for the load, uh, the intensity, uh, waiting to alter that last. Because I think everybody that I have seen, at least on my social media feed, I don't know what's up with my algorithm, Everybody's obsessed with post-injury PRs and getting to that post-injury PR as fast as humanly possible, which I get it. It makes sense. Uh, the, you know, the more heavier the lift, the more impressive it looks, the more likes you get. Um, so I think that is just, if I had to summarize, you know, for the love of God, just leave that last. So, which is easier said than done. So then in that case, the other things to do is really test out, you know, first off, test out your range of motion, just testing out to see how far it can go. Can we get, you know, even, you know, 60% of what, uh, what is, uh, you know, considered full range. Um, like if you have a shoulder injury and, you know, yeah, you can't bench all the way down and really uh, get that full stretch at the bottom. Can we do better with at least going down halfway? So trying to work within that, really playing around with reps and, and the number of sets, um, I think is also a fair, uh, good place to start. So um, those are some of the kind of easier um, uh, kind of uh, variables to play around with. Um, you know, you could do things like myo reps. Um, that's also, a, you know, a pretty decent strategy, but I feel like the, the really main easy ones is really thinking about reps, sets, uh, range of motion, um, and then leaving load to last. Can you talk us through myo reps quickly for people who aren't familiar with that? Oh, um, so um, myo reps, so with um, at least myo rep matching, so with that, it's a just, I guess the way I was trying to think about it is like an easier way of getting to failure without having, you know, getting edging on that, um, uh, zero RIR without really having to, you know, stop, do another set. So for example, what I would do is, uh, you know, a set of body weight squats and try and see how many I could get before I gassed out. So what 20, um, uh, and then with the myo rep matches, um, the next set, it would be 
you know, trying to get to that 20 and taking as many breaks as I need in order to hit that on the next, um, the next set. Okay, cool. So that's, that's just another way of playing with the, the load distribution effect. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and are there, are there any other little, little bits and pieces when it comes to being like injured as opposed to pain, like, like an injury, how you could train potentially and a limb which has an injury, but still get some kind of effect on that. Because obviously, I don't know, let's, let's take an arm, for example, if your, if your hand is injured, maybe you can't grab anything, but then does the shoulder need to wither away? Are there, are there any things that, that could be done to, to overcome that injury? Yeah, the, uh, um, I was actually thinking about this, the, um, the uh, actual example of the hand, like what do I do if my wrist is, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you could strap, uh, you could use bands um, and still get uh, a pretty decent amount of resistance with that. That would be probably a really good place where I would uh, deploy that. Um, I don't even know if this still exists. I was thinking about in the 90s when they had the ankle weights where you would just uh, kind of attach those straight up, uh, you know, would attach, you know, that to kind of a part of the wrist that probably wasn't, uh, you know, if you had a cast on, you could probably do that. And really trying to think of ways for the shoulder, so some lateral raises, um, really getting creative with um, the exercise selection. And then also, yeah, if I can't grab onto anything, I can also attach something to myself, you know, that doesn't require me to grip. Excellent, excellent. I think that's a really good example. And you can also apply that to, to other limbs as well, right? So you yeah. can do it with legs. And yeah, I can imagine... Um, machines for example where you could potentially yeah instead of um yeah if you had a, the same on your on your foot then you could potentially do that with a leg extension leg curl but you don't have to use the foot so i think there's uh, there's some good options there um can you can you talk us through how you would then apply this in the in the real world because obviously yeah these things are, are, are great to hear but can you walk us through like a case study as to how you've done this previously so that we can kind of bring this all to life yeah. Um, do you want something? So I, I have two examples, one that was pretty recent. I think it's, I think it's also important to highlight that not everything goes smoothly and the, um, sometimes, you know, the, uh, struggle to get what you want. Uh, so I think part of it is, you know, giving a, giving a client or a patient a little bit about what they need. And then also, you know, in turn, also giving them something about what they want. So, uh, I had recently, um, and I think it's hard for me because I'm also a doctor, but also I take on some uh, very few uh, diet and training clients. So this is a recreational athlete, uh, in her 20s, female, um, wanted, was in the middle, kind of in the middle of a, a mass phase um, and a mini cut, and then had done a mini cut um, because her ultimate goal is to um, just look look like a bodybuilder, but not compete on stage, and then also do some Krav uh, a couple times a week. So we were in the middle of a mini cut, um, and she had um, fractured her toe uh, doing Krav um, and was saw uh, the physician uh, closer to her uh, closer to her state and ended up breaking her toe. Got put in a boot. Uh, was told not to do anything. <laughs> and then of course, it's like, uh, what do I do now? Uh, and so um, this is a very motivated individual. Um, she, you know, was doing Krav a couple times a week, bodybuilding style training, five days a week, 
uh, was in a deficit, was also doing a lot of high, high intensity cardio, a lot of biking around the city, a lot of walking. So about 20,000 K steps and then also on a deficit. So, you know, um, so it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot <laughs> easy, of stuff. Easy to be on a deficit, right? Like, is it, yeah, <laughs> you, get, you get your deficit quite, quite happily there. So, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces going on, right? So obviously I'm not, you know, the, the, thankfully the toe wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, an injury that, um, uh, one of those high, high risk injuries for like, um, that requires a, a lot more, uh, you know, TLC and a lot more, uh, ginger approach. Like if it was the first toe, it would be a different story. So, what I recommended was get out of the deficit. Let's get you out of the deficit so you can heal. Um, stop Krav for, you know, uh, a, a while until that foot is healed and you're cleared out of the boot. Stop all the high intensity cardio because obviously that's going to put way more stress on the boot. And then let's figure out what we can do for your training. Uh, my recommendation was, you know, let's really focus on your upper body. Um, and, uh, let's see what you can do in a boot. So, um, I actually, uh, you know, we went through a couple of exercises, uh, you know, she, I probably, I told her, you know, probably not no free weight squats, uh, a lot more, you know, um, axial loading. And I just didn't want to put pressure on the knee. Um, I recommended a lot of, um, you know, machine, uh, leg extensions, so I can, you know, we can do something about the quads, um, a lot more machine work than actual loading. Um, and so that was my plan, right? That was like best case scenario. Um, so I was able to sort of, um, I was able to, we were able to knock off Krav. We were able to knock off the high intensity cardio. And as far as the exercises go, the training stuff goes, um, you know, uh, she had told, reported to me that all of the exercises that she wanted to do, uh, was, uh, didn't cause any pain and she was able to do them in the boot. So I was able to get her to go from not free weight squats, but the Smith machine squat seemed to be a little bit more stable on her foot. Didn't give her any pain. She was able to do it in a boot. Um, and she wasn't given any, uh, you know, stipulations on loading, like body weight loading or whatnot. So, um, I felt pretty comfortable with that. Uh, as far as the deficit goes, that was a challenge, uh, that was <laughs> because I think, uh, you know, for various reasons. So we were able to sort of decrease her, decrease the deficit, but not completely get out of the deficit. And I did put on the, when we had talked about it, I gave my reasons as to why, um, I'm not really too keen on that. But again, it's about working with, you know, really having trust in with your patients or your clients. And sometimes they don't have that buy-in and that's okay. Uh, I don't, um, you know, necessarily think that uh, I'm not the type of person that's like my way or the highway. So, um, she was able to get through the six weeks. Uh, it was difficult. It was a challenge, but she was able to get through it. She was ended up getting cleared, um, and then has been able to just function, you know, went back to Krav, went back to doing regular cardio that she enjoys and then still continue to bodybuild. So I think that's more of a scenario where, yes, you have like this plan in place and I, you know, want all these things in theory, but you also have a patient or a client to work with and trying to get, you know, 
it's always going to be a back and forth about what they want and what you want and trying to meet somewhere in the middle. I think that's, that's some excellent advice. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah, it's easy on paper to be like, right, we're just going to do this, 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 and this, <laughs> sorted, go away, see you in six weeks' time. Yeah, pe- people don't do that. Yeah. Um, but you, said, you said you had another example as well. Have you got uh, a couple of minutes to take us through that? Yeah. I mean, the other example is what really got me interested in thinking about injury was actually my own injury where uh, I became the patient and it really kind of sent through me for a loop because all the things that I had sort of recommended as a sports medicine doctor really, uh, I didn't really take a look at, you know, just at what, what I was telling patients until I was on the other end of it. So basically uh, I was coming out of the bottom of a squat and I, my patella rubbed my femur sort of the wrong way. So I was diagnosed with patellofemoral syndrome, according to one of my colleagues. And the advice that the sheet that we had given, it's out of a sports medicine book, seems pretty relevant about patellofemoral syndrome. It was, you know, you really should think about strengthening the quads and really thinking about stretching out your hamstrings uh, as like exercise advice. And at the time, I ha- at the time of injury, I was squatting to 60 pounds, or was a 120, 130 kilos, or something like that, uh, for yeah. sets, you know, for sets of five to ten. So I was like, I think my quads are strong enough. I think they're right. Strong, I think they yeah. do okay. I think they do okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I don't think this is actually relevant to me. So uh, it really sent me down this, and I was a medical resident at the time, and so I was working insane hours. I was not sleeping. I was uh, grinding my teeth at night. I was snoring because I was also overweight uh, by quite a bit. So it really sent me on this downward spiral of what am I going to do now? And thankfully, I do have my husband, uh, Dr. Mike Isertel, who gave me some pretty practical advice on how to navigate that. So. We really had to, uh, uh, one of the things was I really decided that I was going to make my upper body uh, a priority. So every, so I was lifting four times a week at the time during residency and every single session was basically a lot of upper body work because my upper body was just so small and weak that I, I could handle that volume that we decided to hammer that. But as far as the knees go, um, really doing uh, body weight squats and stopping right where that irritation uh, was, you know, really trying to pause right there uh, where, uh, uh, you know, the irritation was right at the bottom of the squat. So really coming up shy of that and pausing and having really a very slow eccentric down, down to that, you know, pain point. I was doing that for four weeks and then a uh, leg press didn't, it seemed to irritate it, so I was able to do a lot much higher reps uh, and a little bit more load. And it wasn't until you know uh, a month out that I started to introduce close stance pause squats back into my rotation for a very for warm up weight uh, for sets of ten, uh, ten to twenty, um, and then moving on to you know kind of increase the weight. So what, uh, you know, starting at 135 for me, which was pretty light, uh, you know, still pretty light. So, um, and I was, you know, barely going up five to 10 pounds per mesocycle. Um, and kind of as my, as I moved down, really, uh, it wasn't until, um, you know, month five, six, and seven that I started to mess around with the load. So 
you know, it took me seven months to get from like this really nagging patellofemoral injury to being able to squat what I previously did post-injury. And that's also with probably the worst recovery ever. The, you know, working as a resident, you're doing 24 hour shifts all the time. Like it's, you know, so I never like to give people huge timelines, but I think, you know, seven months is a lot, but also, you know, uh, that's a real world example of somebody who's working insane hours, like what could happen. So. Yeah, uh, I think it's a, it's a really nice insight into how sometimes the, the worlds flip around and you're like, oh, yeah, shit. Oh, <sighs> now I've got to follow my advice or find something yeah. new. And yeah, those, uh, yeah the, the, those, things, those things are more difficult than telling people what to do, right? But, um, I really appreciate that. Thank you for the, for the insight. Yeah. So um, like in terms of where people can find more about you and what you're up to, where, where can people find uh, more? Yeah, a, a lot of the stuff is on my Instagram, uh, Crystal. I do have uh, a link to some of the YouTube videos. So I uh, have been in a couple of training videos and uh, some tutorial videos on the RP YouTube channel. So, you know, happy, please check that out. Um, so, you know, ever since I think a lot, and I think a lot with that previous experience of injury, I just really started to fall in love with the process of doing a more bodybuilding style training. It just feels a little bit easier on the joints, uh, which I feel also is sort of ironic considering I've decided to take up jujitsu uh, you know, on top of that. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> destroying your one side and building right. back up on the other one. <laughs> so cool. um, but yeah, it just seems uh, just having that control, um, you still get like a good, you know, you still get a, you get a pump, you feel pretty damn good at the end of the day. Um, uh, you know, I just kind of stopped, uh, you know, I was like, powerlifting was fun, but, uh, you know, I, I like a little bit more of a guarantee that, uh, the things that I'm doing now in the gym, uh, pretty much have a much lower likelihood of getting injured. Yeah, that's understandable as well. I think yeah, at a certain point, the the intensity all of the time is uh, is a lot, right? So yeah, yeah it seems like some, some wise life choices moving forwards. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Crystal, massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure talking and uh, oh. look forward to speaking again soon. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you very much. You too. Bye. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Crystal for all of her hard work into this podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get your hands on some more great sports science information, you can hit the link in the show notes and get into the Coach Academy completely for free for the next seven days. What's more, every time you complete one of the courses, you'll get a certificate of completion which will prove your ongoing education. And of course, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me and Matt Solomon for Science Support. Ah, uh, I'll speak to you next week.